Welcome to the Basic Money Matters Show, where we will discuss tools and tips to help you manage your money. Are you ready to get your finances in order? Well, here's your host, Annette Sullivan, certified public accountant and owner of Temple Management Consulting to show us how. In this show, we're going to have some fun. You are going to have an opportunity to test your knowledge of some basic financial concepts not just concepts, but things that we all should have in place or be aware of from a personal finance standpoint. So this is the first of many, many episodes of testing your knowledge of financial basics. How well do you understand personal finance? Well, you're going to get a gauge starting in this session. Now, what I'm going to do is ask a question and give you uh, several ABC uh, potential answers. Think about them and then you don't necessarily have to write them down, but think about what you think the answer may be. And we are going to then provide the answer with some explanatory comments. Uh, but this is all about testing your knowledge of financial basics and in the area of credit scores, lending, investments, retirement, cash reserves, personal finance covers so many areas. And so as we move to, it's, it's only going to be about 10. So we're not going to, and this is uh, what you don't worry about is getting an answer wrong. It's important to get an answer wrong because when you get an answer wrong, then that is an opportunity. You now know what area you may have an opportunity to learn more about. The point of this is to know, to understand what you do know, and to understand what you don't know so that you can find out. So let's go ahead and get started. We did a podcast um, in an earlier show uh, strictly on cash reserves. We talked about what cash reserves were and um, that they are primarily used for emergency purposes. So this first question is around cash reserves. How much should you set aside in liquid low-risk savings in case of emergencies? How much should you set aside in liquid low-risk savings in case of emergencies? A, one to three months worth of expenses, B, three to six months worth of expenses, C, six to 12 months worth of expenses, D, it depends. Think about that a moment. 
So conventional wisdom, and we have also said that it's ideal to set aside three to six months worth of living expenses in some type of savings vehicle. But the answer really depends on your own situation. So it's sort of, um, I would look at this as a twofold answer. It depends is the first answer, D. And the second, depending upon your situation, your personal situation, it could be three to six months or more. So for example, if, if you and your spouse's jobs, if you have fairly secure jobs and you have other assets, you may not need a lot of uh, emergency funds set aside. Three months may be just fine. But if you're in a situation where you are a business owner and your jobs or your job situation is a little less certain, your industry is a little less certain, whatever it may be, you may need as much as a year's worth or more to carry you through uncertain times. So the answer is look at your situation your home situation in terms of your income, the stability of your income, all of the assets that you actually have, and make that determination of whether it should be three to six months or something longer. Rarely it's going to be one to three months because that, that just really won't carry you for any decent amount of time. But usually it'll be three to six months or more depending on your situation. So let's go back to that question. And we talking about liquid low risk savings. We want to make sure everybody understands that the, at the end of the day, we're talking about money somewhere that you can grab without a penalty. So it could be a checking account. It could be a savings account, but it needs to be accessible because when an emergency happens, these funds need to be accessible. And that is the point. So good for you. Let's move to the second question. The second question is a general question that deals with uh, investments. Diversification can eliminate risk from your portfolio. Diversification can eliminate risk from your portfolio. So now what we're talking about is diversifying your investments. If you diversify your investments, you can, the question is, can it eliminate the risk completely from your investment portfolio? A, true, B, false. Can diversifying your portfolio completely eliminate your risk? And when we say risk, we mean risk of you losing your money. Well, if you answered B, you are correct, false. While we know that diversification or diversifying your investments is 
a really sound investment strategy, it can help you to manage risk. And how does it do that? By spreading your investment dollars among different types of securities and asset classes. But it cannot eliminate your risk entirely. It cannot guarantee a profit. You still run the risk of losing money. Just like anything else, nothing is guaranteed. You can you can put a strategy in place. You can do something that will have a X percent chance of being successful, but there are very few things as it relates to anything in life and certainly personal finance that is 100% guaranteed. So diversifying, yes, absolutely. That is the investment strategy to have, but please note anytime you invest, you will always have a risk of losing. This is why you diversify. So for those who are not uh, as in tune with uh, investments, what we're really just talking about is when we talk about diversifying, so for example, having various types of stocks, mutual funds, different types of investments. Uh, Some are more longer term, some are more risky than others, some are more safe. When you have a portfolio, when you have all of these as part of your investment portfolio, if one uh, uh, asset goes up or goes down, starts to lose money, you will have another one that could potentially be going up. And therefore, you are basically, they wash each other out. And so... That's what diversifying really is all about is is, uh, reducing the risk of completely losing all of your funds by having different types of securities. Okay, let's move to number three. The third question is around 401k plans. Now we know 401k plans are retirement plans offered by employers. And many of you have 401k plans. Which of the following is a key benefit of a 401k plan? Number one, or A, with a 401k plan, you can withdraw money at any time for needs, such as the purchase of a new car. Hmm. That's A. B, the plan allows you to avoid paying taxes on a portion of your compensation. C, you may be eligible for an employer match, which is essentially getting free money. And D, none of the above. Think about that. With a 401k, can you withdraw money at any time for needs such as the purchase of a new car? That's A. B, the 401k plan allows you to avoid paying taxes on a portion of your compensation. C, 
you may be eligible for your employer to match your funds, which is essentially getting free money. And the answer is C, most employer-sponsored 401k plans offer a matching program, which is basically free, free money. That's why they are so beautiful. So if your plan offers a match, you should try to contribute at least enough to take full advantage of whatever your employer will match. So if your employer will match the first 4% of your contributions, you want to contribute 4% so that you can take full advantage of the match. If you only contribute 2%, they'll match 2%. They're not going to match four if you only contribute two. So since they are uh, doing a, a, a one-to-one match, and it's usually a limit up to X percent. So the point is to try to contribute as much to take a full advantage of it. So the reason that in none of the an- other answers were uh, true, for example, no, you cannot withdraw money at any time for any need, such as the purchase of a new car. That is not the point of a 401k. Certainly, some pl- employer plan- plans will allow you to take a loan, but you will have to pay it back. Uh, and there are such things as hardship withdrawals, but a car is not a hardship. So that's the reason that would definitely not qualify. Could you withdraw for the purchase of a new home? Absolutely. Typically plans will allow for purchase of a new home, which would be considered a hardship withdrawal. And finally, uh, as far as avoiding, avoiding income taxes. Although income taxes are deferred on your contributions, they are not eliminated entirely. It's kind of a a tricky answer because you will have to pay taxes ultimately when you take money from your plan, okay? When you withdraw from your plan, that's when you will have to pay the taxes on them. So that means your taxes will not be avoided 100%. Also, keep in mind that if any distributions are taken before you are 59 and a half years old, you may be subject to a 10% penalty. So good for you. For those of you who got that, moving to question four. Some, but not all of the money in a bank or a credit union account is protected. Some, but not all of the money in a bank or credit union account is protected. Is that A, true or B, false? And the answer is true, A. Deposits in federally insured banks 
and credit union are insured by the FDIC and the National Credit Union Share Insurance Fund. Up to, up to $250,000 per depositor for each type of uh, ownership category that you have. You could have an account that's a joint account or a retirement account or a trust account. Each one of those are separate. We won't get too technical in that, but the bottom line is that if you have more than $250,000 in an institution in one type of account, the amounts over $250,000 is not protected. So that means some, but not all, okay? But keep in mind that neither the FDIC or the credit union uh, insurance fund, neither, neither of those will protect you against losses in any stocks or bonds or any investments. This only is protection for checking and savings, those, those types of accounts that you uh, open up at a bank or credit union. Let's move to question number five. So what is typically the best way to pursue your long-term financial goals? A, you should invest as conservatively as possible to minimize the chance of loss. Be conservative. That's A. B, Invest equal amounts in stocks, bonds, and cash. C, oh, invest 100% of your money in stocks. D, not enough information to decide. And the answer really is D not enough information to decide because everyone's situation is different. You should always pursue your long-term goals uh, after, if at all possible, consulting with a financial professional or at least uh, consulting with some really valid, really good research material, but to the degree you can consult with a financial professional, do so before you choose a strategy because um, they will take into account your goals, your ultimate goals, uh, your risk tolerance, your time horizon for your investments, and among other factors so that a strategy can be developed to meet your needs. So number six is gonna be just the basic lending type question. When we're talking about debt and you hear the word APR, what does that stand for? A, actual percentage rate. B, annual personal rate. C, 
annual percentage rate? Or D, actual personal return? Once again, A, does APR stand for actual percentage rate? B, annual personal rate? C, annual percentage rate? Or D, actual personal return? Well, the answer is C, annual percentage rate annual percentage rate. APR stands for annual percentage rate. This is the rate that credit card, mortgage, and other loan issuers use to show you, the borrower, approximately how much you're going to be paying each year to borrow those funds. The APR takes into account all of the fees and costs because when you borrow money there are all there are also fees associated with getting the loan and other costs so sometimes you see uh, two rates you'll see um, on your uh, loan documents or um, elsewhere you'll see something called stated interest rate well the APR, differs from the stated interest rate. And the stated interest rate is usually lower than the APR because it does not take into account fees and other costs. So it is the actual, uh, the, the first rate uh, that is determined on the loan, but when you add in all the other costs of getting the loan, then basically, and you add that to the interest, then the annual APR rate then is developed. So let's move to the next question, which deals with investments. Investments. We've all heard of mutual funds. Well, mutual funds, Mutual funds are the safest types of investments. A, is that true? B, false. Mutual funds are the safest types of investments. The answer is false. Mutual funds combine the money of many Different investors, this is, this is a description of what a mutual fund really is. It combines the money of many different investors in a portfolio of securities that's invested in pursuit of a particular objective. So essentially, it's a com combination of different types of securities with a particular objective. So mutual fund A could have a pool of securities that is different than mutual fund B that is different than mutual fund C. They're all mutual funds, but they have different objectives. Mutual fund A may be a growth, uh, a growth mutual fund, 
for the long term that has far more stocks than mutual fund B. Mutual fund B may be a more conservative, may have a more conservative uh, investment objective and have more bonds in it. So at the end of the day, because when you look at a mutual fund, because of this diversification, mutual funds are typically a good way to help manage risk. So remember we talked about diversifying is a very sound strategy. Well, by uh, purchasing mutual funds, you are accomplishing this. However, the amount of risk in any mutual fund depends on the type of securities that it holds. So for example, as I said, mutual fund A may be a long-term growth mutual fund that has a lot of corporate stocks in it, et cetera, and, and, and some other items, but it's pretty much a lot of corporate stocks. Well, that's quite different from mutual fund B. So you can't all around say that mutual funds um, are safer is the safest type of investment overall. It all depends on the fund itself and what it holds. So you should always choose a mutual fund very carefully to make sure that the objective of that fund aligns with your own investment goals. So how do you do that? Each mutual fund comes with a prospectus. Basically, it's, it's a document that talks about that fund, what it holds, how much of it holds, uh, what the objectives are. So you read the prospectus because it will contain all the information that you need about the risks, the fees and expenses, and of course, once again, the specific holdings of that fund. Our question number eight. So you say, I have plenty of time to save for retirement. I'm only 25 years old. I'm only 35 years old. I don't have to concern myself with that right now. A, is that true? B, is that false? Well, the answer really truly is B, false. Although retirement for you may be 30, 40 decades uh, away, investing for retirement now is a smart move and we want to be making smart moves. Well, that's because even small amounts of money that we put aside now can add up through the power of compounding. Compounding is when you're earning money on the existing money that you have, and that's earning more money. That's compounding. So your returns turn into other returns, more money. So your money is working for you. You may not necessarily have to put in a whole lot of money each time, $50 a month, but the consistency and starting early is going to benefit you greatly as when you look up 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, you will have an amount that you could never have imagined 
if you start early. Number nine, what are the benefits of a Roth IRA or what is the benefit of a Roth IRA? A, a Roth IRA can provide tax-free income in retirement. B, investors can take a tax deduction for their Roth IRA contributions. Or C, investors can make tax-free withdrawals after a five-year holding period for any reason? Well, the answer is A. A, the primary benefit of a Roth IRA is that it provides tax-free income in retirement. Your contributions for towards a Roth IRA are never tax deductible. You get your tax benefit when you withdraw money in retirement, you are not taxed on it. That's the opposite of a, a basic, a traditional IRA. And the last question, credit score. What is considered a good credit score? 85 or above, A, B, 500 or above, C, 700 or above. Well, the answer is C, 700 or above. Well, different organizations calculate credit scores and they have various factors that they base your credit score on. Now, there is no one single agreed upon definition of a good credit score, but generally, generally speaking, if you have a score of 700 or above, you would likely be looked upon favorably when applying for credit. Well, now you know what you know and you know what you don't know, which means it's an opportunity to learn more in those areas where you did not answer the, where you did not provide the correct answer, but the ones that you did pat yourself on the back. And this is really all about learning. So, we thank you, as always, for tuning in to Basic Money Matters, where we take the complicated financial parts of your life and business and make it easy for you to understand. Our episodes are aired on Hindsight Media Radio Network 103.5. Thanks so much for joining us for the Basic Money Matters Show. Please visit our website at templemanagementconsulting.com. Be sure to tune in for the next episode of Basic Money Matters. Thanks again for joining us.